Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Another episode of Revolution Recap coming to you after the New England Revolution have won their first two games of the season for the first time in club history, uh, beating the Houston Dynamo in their home opener last night in less than ideal weather by a three to nothing score. Dylan Brewer opened the scoring in the first half just before halftime, and Bobby Wood and Brandon By put the game away in the second half. Uh, really good victory for the Revolution. I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today is my co-host Tanner Rabello. Tanner, how's it going? Doing good, Sean. Doing good. Is this the greatest revolution team ever? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little bit too soon to say that, uh, but it is the uh, greatest start to a season through two games that the Reds ever had. So that's something. And I, I didn't bother to look it up because it would take me forever. Um, but my assumption is I can't imagine they've had two straight shutouts to start the season either, which is uh, oh, I, think, I, I, I got think that positive. stat for you. Oh, you do? I got that. Is, is that do, accurate? Yeah, thanks to... Uh... Uh, to Rev's comms, they actually did this in 2006. They had a draw in that time period, though. So it's okay. first time since 06 if I back-to-back shutouts to start a year. And 06 was a very, very good Rev's team. So it's a, that's a good team to be compared to if you're, if you're going to be compared to a past Rev's team, although they fell short in the final, but uh, against the Houston Dynamo, I believe. So <laughs> anyways, uh, with that said, let's jump into our key takeaways, because I think there's a lot to take away from this one. Um, our key takeaways are brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at Any Rebellion and at their website, anyrebellion.org. And definitely, while you're there, check out their Bury Me in the Pines fundraiser, where they've committed $10 for every revolution goal. So good day for that last night uh, with the Rose 23 nothing, um, as well as donating 50% of their profits to uh, for, their, for their Bury Me in the Pines merchandise uh, to One Tree Planted, which is a Vermont-based organization that's dedicated to helping uh, with rural reforestation. Uh, Tanner, what's your takeaway from this one? Just general surprise. I think last week on the podcast, I think we talked about the idea of Houston coming in and parking the bus and the revolution essentially after breaking them down. And you know, I was pretty negative heading into that. Um, you know, I personally thought that we were going to lose one nothing before the game yesterday. And I was saying to um, Simon and Seth McCumber that I was thinking it's going to be a one nothing loss for the revolution. I wasn't very confident. I thought, you know, Ben Olsen would come in with a plan and a competent Houston team. And I don't think we saw a competent Houston team last night, but I am generally surprised by the New England Revolution. Um, you know, getting that road win in Charlotte in front of nearly 70,000 fans, that was impressive. Uh, then a 3 nothing win at home against a bad Houston team, but they took care of business. There were some impressive things that they were able to do. Um, they, they finally looked late in that second uh, first half and then into that second half that there was chemistry, that there was, you know, the players were actually playing with each other. They didn't look frustrated at each, with each other. Um, you know, they scored three goals. So I, I'm just impressed with the team. Um, and that's layering on the fact that they're still shorthanded. Andrew Farrell, Gustavo Bo, Nacho Hill, not available for this game. So there's still a lot to come. We still don't know what their best 11 is. It's still very, very early in the season. There's a huge test next weekend, but Generally, I'm just impressed with their start to the year. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, and I think, we, like you said, we talked about last week, this was going to be a different game for the Revolution than the Charlotte game. Um, and Houston was willing to give the Revolution possession. 
uh, at least in the first half. The Revs, I think, finished the first half with about 55% possession. Um, so that obviously played out very different than Charlotte. The Revs had to figure out how to attack on the front foot uh, rather than just relying on the counterattack. And um, to be honest, I think they, they started off struggling with that, right? Um, they started off in the 4-4-2 diamond. We'll talk more about the formation. Um, and I don't think that particularly worked well for them. But uh, Bruce Arena adjusted on the fly. Um, was able to kind of switch that formation up to play with more width. Uh, and when he did that, the Revolution really took control, uh, got that lead before halftime, which was their first shot on goal, um, which kind of emphasizes that they, they struggled a little bit um, prior to making that change and then scoring two goals in the second half. But, yeah, this, is, this has not been a team that historically has started seasons well. Um, so it's fantastic to see two games in, uh, perfect record at the top of the standings, um, and not putting themselves in a hole that they have to dig out later in the year. Um, but I agree, surprise is definitely <laughs> is definitely a good way to describe uh, how I felt about seeing the Revs win three nothing in a hole opener in crappy weather that you know in the past they could have used as an excuse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know that weather last night was it was brutal, low thirties. Like I had snowed the night before. Um, you know, so weather is usually the great equalizer, but uh, generally, like I said, I'm, I was just so impressed with the revolution and their ability. And I, I agree, like in the first half, they really, really struggled initially. Um, then they were able to find that goal. And then towards the end of that half, if Houston, if Hector Pereira had buried that chance late in the half that I just missed, we might be talking about a different game, but missed that. The revolution opened up the second half on the front foot and the rest was history. I mean, they looked so comfortable in that second half. Yeah, and the Houston Dynamo also had that chance in what, like the eighth minute, that um, the, the open header that where Kessler lost his mark, um, and they were very, very lucky the header was right at Petrovic. So it could have it could have been a different game early um, if Houston was better at finishing their chances. And I think there were a couple worrying signs defensively uh, heading into LA, where they're going to face an LAFC team that is a lot stronger offensively than anything the Revs have seen this season um but really you can't you can't complain about about a three nothing victory um on my side my takeaway from this one is that the revs actually have a a striker controversy now Uh, i think everyone thought going into the season that rioni was going to be that number nine um they're paying him a lot of number a lot of money to be that number nine he led the austrian bundesliga or finished second in the austrian bundesliga in scoring a couple seasons ago um lots and lots of expectations on rioni and we're going to dig deeper into the lineup, but one thing we should talk about now is that Rioni started this game on the bench for Bobby Wood. Uh, and if you had told me that going into this preseason that Bobby Wood would be starting the second game of the season over a healthy Yakimov healthy Rioni, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, but Wood, we, we mentioned it last week, played better than Rioni in his limited minutes against Charlotte, looked offered more for the Revs. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think if you put aside expectations, you put aside salary, you put aside history, you know, just based on what we saw last week, Wood deserved to start this game over Giacomo Rioni, and Wood did well in this game. He had 18 touches, which, you know, was only the same amount Rioni had against Charlotte, so not not that many touches, but uh, when he did get the ball, he was doing great things. He had a goal, he had an assist, two key passes, um, and overall, you know, played really, really well, uh, getting himself on the score sheet and helping set, set one up, so um, you know, Wood had a really, really good game. And now, you know, uh, Greg tweeted out before the game, I think, that if, you know, Wood scores or has a good game, Bruce Arena has got to be in a tough spot. I think Bruce Arena is kind of in a tough spot now because he's got his, again, his designated player that's making all this money uh, that now, you know, two games in a row has been outperformed by Bobby Wood. And now you go into LAFC and the rest of the season, and at least at the moment, uh, it looks like you should be starting Wood over Rioni. Um, and w- with all that said, 
you know, I think we talked about last night, you know, Wood is a good player, but he has a ceiling. He's been around for a long time. He's, he's you know, 30 years old. He's had one season where he scored double digits in his career, I believe. Um, I don't think that Wood, as your starting striker, you know, makes you an MLS Cup contender. Um, I think for the Revolution to be an MLS Cup contender or to be a contender to even go deep in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs, they need Vrioni to come good and be a you know 15 plus goal scorer because I don't think Wood can be that despite the fact he's played good these two games. So um, it, it's it's a, a good thing for the Revs that Wood is playing well. Uh, I don't think it's a good thing for the Revs that Wood is outperforming Vrioni and that Vrioni has not shown much yet still very very early in the season but i i think there's a little bit of worrying signs here that you know game two and bruce has already put rioni on the bench and gone to bobby wood yeah i know in preseason it was Altador and wood that were the starting strikers for the revolution um and obviously you can't take much out of preseason but it kind of looked like bruce is already kind of going there a little bit and i think you know with Veroni, it's it's dangerous if we were to rule him out right i think early into adam books's tenure um you know, people were pretty quick to write him off or at least be disappointed in that acquisition. But, you know, we know what happened with Buxa. Um, he was able to break through and he was able to, you know, score at a very high level here, the revolution. Uh, Veroni is a very different player than Adam Buxa. Um, incredibly different. And they pl- their play styles are different. And I think for the revolution, maybe this is something that we're seeing is that, you know, that Buxa style of striker is something that this just this team performs better with. Um, and I think it's just a skill set Veroni doesn't have. I mean, he's a goal scorer, right? Like he's going to score goals for this team. Um, but I think you're just seeing like the reason why Bobby Woods maybe looking better is he's more comfortable. Um, he's making the right runs. You know, he's been around this league. He knows Bruce very well. So maybe that's part of it. But I just think it's the the play style of Bobby Wood fits a little bit better into what the Revs want to do. I think Altador is a better fit than Veroni. Um, so I think with Ferroni, even when he came in yesterday, I wasn't overly impressed. He didn't look very comfortable. I mean, there's a couple moments where I was like, okay, you can kind of see what he can do, but it's just ineffective so far for him. At some point, you think it has to click, but not all players work out. Not all acquisitions work out. And obviously, it's a designated player, so the stakes are elevated here. But from what I've seen from Ferroni last year and so far this year, um, I don't know if I've seen something that will end up being successful here in New England. It's it's tough to say, but I really do think he's not the right fit just as a play style with what the Revs want to end up doing and what they're actually successful at doing. So obviously he's clearly a talented player. He's scored at a high clip throughout his career, but not overly impressed with him so far. And, and I'm not actually confident that he can pull out of it. Buxa, I was very confident. And I remember going back to the time, I was one of the few people that were you know, saying, hold your breath, take time, he's going to be successful with Ferroni. I don't have that same confidence, unfortunately. Yeah, and he, I mean, he didn't get much of the ball in his, he came out of the 68th minute in this game, he had four touches, uh, didn't attempt a single pass. Um, he did earn two fouls, one of which was somewhat notable to me, where he, you know, held up the ball against two defenders and, and got fouled. Um, uh, but he, you know, overall, again, the Revs were up 3 nothing at that point. They weren't really pressing forward, uh, content to let Houston have the ball a bit. So I can't blame him too much. Um, but and again, his four touches, zero attempted passes, one time dispossessed, one unsuccessful touch, two fouls earned. Uh, n- not ideal, and there was nothing in this game, I think, to suggest that he was you know, work, working out of his funk by coming off the bench. So uh, something to watch going forward for sure. But 
at least at least in my view, I think if Rioni does not end up being that Revs number nine, uh, the Revs' chances of of doing anything, you know, of, of making a deep run in the postseason are a, a lot more limited because I do think that he, you know having that number nine up top that can you know be a fifteen plus goal scorer is very important to the Revs this season. And I don't think as good as Wood has been, I still don't see him being that player at this point in his career because he really hasn't been that player at any point in his career other than you know one season in the the second Bundesliga, right? <laughs> And it doesn't have to be Bobby Wood. I know Bobby's looked good so far, and I think most refs fans are probably completely surprised by him. But, you know, you do have Altidore on this team. And we saw him talk about Gustavo Bo. Um, and, you know, how does that work? And where does Bo slot in? And could Ferroni have success playing alongside Gustavo um, or playing alongside Altidore? Like, I don't think as a lone striker, Ferroni's going to be successful in Major League Soccer. Uh, I could be wrong, but... I really think it's going to take another striker alongside them to really help out, and it's it's not going to be Dylan Barrero. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at Altidore, I'm looking at Bo, and how do they fit in? In addition to Bobby Wood, I think Bobby Wood's played well enough where you let him continue to play. Um, I'm not going to rule out Ferroni, but it's just hard to see him fitting in right now. Yeah, uh, and let's talk about kind of that lineup and and you know how that might work. Uh, in this game, the Revs switched from the you know the four five one or four three three, whatever you want to call it, that they played against Charlotte into a four four two diamond, uh, you know, very narrow diamond too to start this game with Barrero playing up top with Bobby Wood, which was interesting. Um, Rioni obviously benched as you mentioned, and Latif Blessing got the start, uh, more of a natural fit for a diamond than Damian Rivera. Obviously, uh, were you surprised to see? Were you surprised with anything in that lineup other than obviously Wood over Rioni? No, I, I really wasn't. And honestly, with Bobby Wood, I wasn't terribly surprised by it. By it. Uh, pre, uh, pre-game, I was kind of thinking you were going to go Bobby Wood just because Veroni was that unsuccessful. And I think this was a critical game for the Revolution heading into LAFC. I think you you really could not afford to lose this home opener against Houston. Um, so I wasn't really shocked by anything in this lineup. Obviously, you saw Noel Buck got that second start in a row, which he deserved. Um you know, he was the first sub, though. He was subbed off in the 62nd minute for Christian McCoon. And I think Noel Buck, you know, he had a couple good moments. Um, definitely wasn't like last week, but he's a young player, and you're going to see those ups and downs, so that's completely normal. Um, it was good to see Latif Blessing get an 85-minute run out. Um, you know, overall, I wasn't overly impressed with him, but I think he did a good job. Um, so nothing too shocking in this lineup. I think, you know, obviously the Bobby Wood starting over Roney stands out to a lot of people. Yeah, I think it was the lineup itself wasn't anything too shocking there. Um, it was more the formation, right? That surprised me a bit um, that they switched up after game one to to go to this four four two diamond. Um, and I don't. I, I think the reasoning there is we we heard the Revs talk a lot about Houston's strength in the middle of the field in the midfield with Hector Herrera uh, going into this game. And I think Bruce probably saw that and uh, first you know. Seeing that, decided to stack the midfield for the Revs and kind of play more narrow and, and have all those bodies there. Uh, and I think it worked pretty effectively as far as uh, denying Houston chances. Uh, but offensively, it really was limiting for the Revolution, I, I think. Uh, so eventually, I, I forget about what minute it was. They switched to more of a 4-5-1, and that's when the attack for the Revs, I thought, really got going. But um, what, did, what did you think of that diamond? I, I you know, I'm, I'm still, and we, we got a question about that too, um, about our, our thoughts on the diamond from Tyler O'Brien. You wanted to know our thoughts on the diamond. But what, what did you think that of the of the diamond in this game? And is this something you think we're going to see more of? Because I wasn't really impressed with it in this one. I don't think it was the right personnel to do it. 
if that makes sense. I don't think it was really putting a player like Dylan Burrow in a place to succeed. Uh, he's a player that I think has success out wide. He has success taking players one-on-one. He's really good on the ball. Um, so I don't think it makes sense to have him. But if it's like a Veroni and a bow, maybe that could work, right? Like, So if you start to think about swapping other players in, it could work. But then you're thinking about Burrow, where would he slot in if that were the case? Or even like a Nacho heel. So I don't. I think it was a good experiment to see, but I just don't think it was the right players to execute it. And I think it was really evident yesterday that that's the case. I agree, and I thought it was a pretty defensive kind of looking 4-4-2 diamond to start this game, which I thought was an interesting choice going at home against the Dynamo in a game where really you should be getting three points. Um, obviously, it worked when they switched it up. Uh, but when you talk about the personnel um, and we talk about Barrero, you know, one thing that we saw from Barrero uh, for his national team against the U.S. was that he was very capable of playing a narrow role. Um, so I wonder if you know Bo is healthy and you have Bo and Vrioni up top or Bo and Wood up top or Bo and Altidore up top, and then you put Barrero in that midfield, um, maybe instead of Buck. I, I don't think Buck had his best game in this one, uh, and I think Blessing outperformed Buck. Uh, so say you put Barrero there, then I think you have a more offensive-minded midfield. Uh, then you have guys that are more capable of playing up top with Bo up there, and then I do wonder if it could work. I'm, you know, I, I don't love the four-four-two diamond as a formation. I'm not a huge fan of it, uh, but there are teams that have been very successful in it. So maybe with the right personnel, it could work. And I, I do wonder if Barrero is in that midfield. If you have, you know, a lot more going forward, do you think that's something that you know could work if they try this again? Yeah, I'd be curious to see what how Burrow works if he's playing more centrally, um, not up top. But I think that's something to watch out for because I don't know if we know what Burrero is, is specifically his position. I think, you know, you can see he has success out wide, but it may not be the best fit for him in New England. So that's one of those players you're going to have to see how they pan out. Um, Burrero has had success in multiple ro- roles so far. Where a player like Veroni, I don't know if we know his position yet with this team. Um, he hasn't had any success uh, as of late. And I think Gustavo is one of those players, too, that I feel like he's going to be a winger on this team. But there's just a lot of unknowns here, Sean, right? Like, how does that back line work, too? We haven't even gotten to that um, with the center backs. Like, what does it look like when Farrell returns or something happens to one of their outside backs? So there's the fact that they're 2-0 is great, but there's a ton of questions with this team at key positions. Yeah, there are. And I think we, we haven't – I mean, it's a good thing, too, that they've gotten – you know, two victories while well, they're missing a lot of guys, uh, like Gustavo Bo, most importantly. Um, and, you know, Blessing was out, and now he's back. Jack P., who was a big part of preseason, hasn't been available yet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good thing they've won these games without those guys, but there are a lot of questions on what this team will look like. Um, we have a lot of listener questions, but there was one question I want to ask you that wasn't asked by listeners uh, before we get into it, which is a concern of mine, or at least a thought of mine watching this game, is Carlos Heels set pieces in this one, um, and I think overall this season haven't been great. Uh, there was one point where he had a free kick that went over everybody and not that long afterwards had a corner kick that went over everybody. And you have a team now with guys like Kessler and Romney getting forward in the box um, that should be dangerous on set pieces. And you have a player like Carlos Hill that's extremely talented um, and has shown he can take set, piece, set pieces in the past. But so far this season, I haven't really been impressed with the set pieces is am i right to be a little bit concerned with that or is it you know the weather and the field playing a playing a role but it just seemed like those are wasted opportunities because even if you go back to kessler's goal um that won the game against charlotte was a you know corner kick that didn't really work out that he was up there for and stayed up you know when when uh the ball was recycled back in right 
Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, Carlos has kind of worried me for a lot of different reasons. I think his attitude on the pitch, his body language, is poor at times. Like even in this game, uh, for the majority of the first half, you could see his body language. Um, you could just see the frustration of him on the field, throwing his hands up, throwing his hands down, disgust, uh, yelling at the refs for non-calls. He's just a, a player that's become very, very vocal on the field. Obviously, when you win an MVP and you're your team's captain, um, you know, and success comes with that. Uh, I feel like as a whole, you know, definitely feel like his body language leaves a lot to be desired, especially when things aren't going well for the team. And you do get concerned, you know, if your team captain's doing that and your best player's doing that, maybe it rubs off on other players the wrong way. But I do think his service has left a lot to be desired this year when it comes to set pieces. I do think last night you could still see Carlos Seal has a great touch on the ball, um, you know, especially in the flow of play. The set pieces were concerning to me, but... It's tough to look at the weather last night, you know, low 30s, a little bit wet. I know Brandon Bay had some crossing issues in the past, as we all know, but there's some two balls that Brandon Bay hit that was like 30 to 40 yards, yep. like way too high, way too out. I think Houston had a couple instances like that, too. Um, the ball was flying last night, which is a little bit weird for cold weather. Usually you see the opposite. Um, so I don't know if it was necessarily Carlos' service or just like, just the atmosphere in general that causes it to be that way. Yeah, and I, you bring up a good point because I think from the run of play, his through balls were really, really good on the ground. Um, you know, he was involved in a couple of those goals with with, with balls on the wing. Um, but when he got out wide, which he did a lot in this game, and I think part of that was as they were kind of playing around with the formation, uh, his crossing from the wings was was not great either from you know, set pieces or from the run of play. So that was you know interesting. And again, you can... Give him a pass maybe for the weather in this one, but something to watch going forward. And I agree that overall this season, a little bit worrying from him. Um, he had two key passes in this game, which, you know, isn't terrible. But for him, you know, we're used to seeing him get, you know, seven, eight, nine sometimes in, in games. Uh, we haven't seen that yet this season. Um, so, you know, again, it's Carlos Heel. He's the Revolution's best player. I expect him to be that as the season goes along. But the first two games, I don't think he's been uh, at his best. We do have a good amount of listener questions. Uh, before we jump in, I do want to talk, take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Glocko Kits. Glocko Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. Passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GlockoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. Again, head to GlockoKits.com and get 15% off at checkout using the code REVSRECAP. Lots of great gear on there, uh, both vintage and current. Um, like I said, lots of questions. Let's start with Traeger Durati on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know, what Revs defender have you been most impressed with so far this season? It's a great question. I think it's Dave Romney. Um, and granted, my expectations were high. I, I knew coming in he was going to be a really good uh, defender for the Revolution. But, you know, through two games, you know, Dave Romney is an immediate plug-in on this back line for me. Um, and I think the back line as a whole... Um, I think Henry Kessler has looked good for most of this year. Um, there's been obviously a couple moments, but you're going to get that defensively. I think Kessler's taken a little bit of a step forward. Um, so I've been impressed with both of those individuals. Yeah, I think it's got to be one of the two center backs. We'll get to the the fullbacks uh, in a bit because we have a question about that. Um, I think Romney's been very good. Uh, and I think 
my one concern with him is the the pat his passing. Uh, the first game of the season, I think he passed at sixty nine percent, which is not great for a center back. And in this game, he passed at eighty seven percent, which is you know not bad. Uh, but there was one notable play, I think, in the first half where he just passed the ball or turned the ball over with a, a long touch to you know a Houston player right in the middle of the field. Uh, and I think the Rebs were lucky that Houston wasn't quicker to counterattack on that one. But overall, I think they're very impressed with him. I'm going to take Henry Kessler since you picked Romney because I think Kessler has played very very well this year. Um, if you listen to some of the earlier podcasts, I, I, my prediction was that Farrell would actually end up starting next to Dave Romney by the end of the season. Uh, I'm a lot less certain of that now after how Henry Kessler has played. I think he, you know, like Andrew Farrell had moments last season that weren't great. I don't think last season was his best season, uh, but he started this year very, very well. Um, and really he's made it hard for, you know, when, Henry, when Andrew Farrell gets back for, for Bruce to consider starting Farrell over Kessler. So both center backs, I think are, are good shouts for the Rose best defender. Uh, he, Traeger also wanted to know, in a 3-0 blowout with 25 minutes left, we didn't see Esmir play, uh, and he wants to know why. Now, now, in my opinion, I think when you're in a game like this and you're up 3 nothing at home, if you have a young guy that you want to get minutes, that's the perfect opportunity, right? So why, why didn't we see Esmir in this one? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I think you know we'd have to ask Bruce that, because I think in this situation, you would want to put Esmir on. Um, you know, I, he was the one player, I think, if you looked at the bench, that you'd like to see. And if you go back and look at, you know, where were the, where were the subs made, right? So Noblock came off in the 62nd minute. McCoon came on probably a little bit too early for Ashmere to come in at that point. Uh, I think you could fairly look at the Latif blessing sub in the 85th minute maybe and say you could have put in Ashmere in that situation. They brought in Justin Rennix instead. You know, and I, and I think Rennix deserved those minutes too. And I think he's shown that he he deserves additional minutes. So I don't, I don't know if I'd put in Ashmere over Justin at that point. Um, and then in the 69th minute, I think Emma Boateng came on for Dylan Barrero, and I think that was still early enough in the game. Maybe you should have put on Eshmere there, but then again, Emma Boateng kind of deserves the minutes too. So it's a team with depth. Um, you know, for a young player like Eshmere, it's going to be really tough for him to break in and get minutes. So, you know, maybe if Noel Buck struggles a little bit, maybe you see Eshmere get some minutes. They're obviously different players, but there's just only so many minutes you can do. And if I, if I look back at all the subs that Bruce made throughout the game, there isn't a perfect moment for me to put an Ashmere over someone else. Like, I guess what about the, the sub he didn't use? Because he used four out of his five subs. Uh, true. Uh, he used all the windows. So he, when you put in Renix, it wasn't like he was saving a sub for an emergency because you couldn't use that last sub at that point because he used three windows. So what if you bring on Eshmere for Carlay's heel in that 84th minute and make sure Carlay's heel doesn't get hurt in this bad weather? You're up 3 nothing. Preserve your star player and give your young guys some minutes. That that's the sub that might have made sense to me, whether it was 84th minute or a little bit earlier. Um, if you're pretty convinced you have this game won, why not save your star player and give the young guys some minutes? Right? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think Carlos would be uh, exactly thrilled to be taken out, and I don't think Bruce like likes to take out Carlos' heel. Um, you know, that could be a, could have been the moment, right? Or Matt Polster uh, looked like he took a knock a little bit in that game, was able to play through. Maybe he's someone you could have replaced obviously it's not a like for like whatsoever you could have shuffled things around a little bit to make it work but um yeah you could have used that extra sub for sure to bring in Ashmere. and just so. to me i think with with carlos revs got very lucky he was healthy all of last year but he you know in his career with the revolution that hasn't always been the case so it just seems like if you have an opportunity and like you said it doesn't seem like bruce likes to sub him off he goes 90 you know just about every game um but it seems like when you have an opportunity up three nothing in bad weather that maybe preserving your star player isn't isn't a bad idea. Um, didn't come back to bite him in this one. Carlisle, you know, finished healthy and fine. So, 
I uh, just I don't know, just a, just a thought when you have an opportunity to to give a guy a little bit of rest and, and preserve him and bring a young guy in and give him some minutes. Um, but you know, I, I agree. We haven't seen Bruce do that in the past with Carles. Although to be fair, last year they didn't have many games where, where they were up comfortably to do something sure. like that. Um, but we'll, we'll see what goes, what happens going forward. But if you can't get Esmer into a game like this, I don't think you're going to get him into many games. So I think that kind of is telling that, uh, you know, Bruce probably isn't as high on him as he is on Noel Buck, as he is on, uh, Jack P and maybe even as he is on Rivera, even though Rivera is a bit older. Uh, Ryan Duplicia on Twitter wants to know our thoughts on Blessing and Barrero being in the starting 11 from now on. Um, I, I expected them to be in the starting 11 going going into the season, and I think now that they're healthy, I, I would expect them to continue to be, right? Yeah, I think, you know, with those two players, you'd expect them to be in, especially Barrero. And obviously, Blessing's a talented player. I really have enjoyed watching him over the years with LAFC. Just a really fun player to watch. Uh, but when Gustavo Bo is back and Nacho Heel, those are two talented players as well. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see who's in and who is out at the end of the day. Uh, I think you'd expect probably, it's not like for like, but maybe no buck probably would be out of the lineup. Uh, but then there's that question of who's that other player out. Um, is it Bobby Wood? Obviously, Veroni is still floating around too. Where does he slot in? So there's a lot of big questions here for Bruce. You know, Dylan Burrow and Latif Blessing, you'd expect to be in the lineup, but I just don't think anything's a given right now with this team because there, there is that depth, which is a luxury to have. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, but I, it's, you know, those two players are paid a decent amount of money. Burrow, obviously, U22 initiative. I think he's the, you know, a lot is expected of him this season. I expect him to be starting, you know, just about every game he's healthy. Um, and I think Blessing, again, uh, paid a decent amount of money. I expect him to be starting alongside Pulser or in front of him if they're playing that diamond um, going forward. And I think both of them have looked good uh, so far and blessing in his first start this game. Um, we had a few questions on Andrew Farrell. Ryan also wanted to know how Farrell is going to fit in um, on over on Discord. Our, our friend Evan Ream, just kidding, Evan Ryan, sorry about that last week, wants to know if we think Andrew Farrell will come back to go to a three-center-back formation. When, when he comes back, that the Rose will go to a three-center-back formation or if he's on the bench and as a super sub. And John Stafford also wants to know if Andrew Farrell will play or sit on the bench. So I guess a, a few different questions here that essentially boils down to is what what are they going to do with Andrew Farrell uh, when he's healthy? That's, you know, it's like the biggest question on the team right now. And obviously we got the striker position too, but you know, Andrew Farrell has been an iron man for this team since he came in the league in 2013. Um, you know, one of the most consistent performers, um, obviously there's always ups and downs, but it's one of those guys that's always been there. Um, but you know, Dave Romney is a very talented center back and Henry Kessler, he has something to prove this year, especially if he wants to go play overseas. Like he has to have a good year with the revolution to be able to do that kind of thing. So Andrew Farrell feels like the odd man out. He's had a lot of miles, um, you know, on his body, especially playing on turf. And, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, unfortunately. And you look at it and you're like, it's hard to envision him being a backup on this team. And that's what I keep on sort of racking my head up against. I think they're weak at right back, but, you know, you don't want to play Andrew Farrell at right back. So if you do go to three at the back for center backs, I I don't like that either. Um, (laughs) So honestly, Sean, it's it's something that I don't I don't have an answer to. I think there's a lot of different ways they could go. Um, I think Bruce ultimately hopes someone just earns the other center back spot. Like it just they beat him out, and it's not even a question. But it's really hard to see Andrew Farrell sitting on the bench. So yeah, I, I don't like the idea of three at the back or five at the back, however you want to look at it. I, I think you know Kessler and Farrell at their best 
have played well as a center back pairing. Um, you know, it's, it's with two center backs. I think uh, Kessler and Romney so far have played well as a center back pairing. Um, you know, I think you're just limiting too much what you can do with the, on the rest of the field when you're doing that. If you, if you do that, you know, can you still get Bo, Vrioni, or whichever other striker you're going to play, Barrero, Carlos Heel, all out there at the same time and have a workable formation? I, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I don't think that's the best option. I do think we're going to see that at the end of some games. I think when they're all healthy, um, I think we talked about this in the last podcast that, you know, when you were bringing on a, a center back to kind of lock down a game, um, you're better off with that center back being Andrew Farrell, being Dave Romney, being Henry Kessler than you are with it being Omar Gonzalez. Um, I also think it's a very, very long season. Uh, and I think that Andrew Farrell is going to see plenty of minutes this year. There's not a lot of Wednesday games to start the year for the Revs, but as the season goes on, there are, and there's going to be um, U.S. Open Cup. There's going to be that, what the, 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 um, I'm already blanking on it. What is the League's, what is Cup. the, League's Cup? Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> League's Cup. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of minutes to go around, and I think the Revolution have seen in the past that you know Henry Kessler wasn't especially durable last year. Uh, Andrew Farrell is getting older. He started this season injured. Um, you know Dave Romney's close to thirty. I I think all these guys shouldn't be starting every game. Um, and if you have a three man rotation where you know maybe every guy is playing two games and, and then getting a rest uh, that helps pre- preserve these players for the playoffs. That helps preserve these guys long-term helps avoid injuries. Um, Bruce hasn't been great about rotation in the past, at least last season when, you know, he didn't have opportunities to because the revolution really needed to win every game late. Um, I think this year they've started off strong. Uh, Bruce should be rotating this lineup a lot, especially the center back pairing uh, to keep those guys healthy. So my thought is that Farrell is going to get his minutes as a rotational piece. Um, you know, like I said in the preseason, I thought Farrell was going to be the guy starting next to Romney by the end of the year. I'm a lot less convinced of that, but a lot can happen over the year, um, especially if there's you know opportunity to rotate and for him to prove himself uh, next to Dave Romney and, and see how that goes. But yeah, I, I don't see them going to a five man back line except in you know limited circumstances. Maybe you know certain matchup where they think that makes sense or again end of the game when they're trying to hold on to a lead uh eric on twitter had a couple questions i'm you know glad he asked this first one because this was a topic i wanted to talk about he said brandon and dewan both had great crosses that resulted in goals but they also both coughed the ball up a fistful of times in dangerous places they're both better than that so it's just just early season jitters and one stat i wanted to point out is brandon buys passing he was just at 68.9 percent passing accuracy last night which is not great um and he was 53.9 percent passing accuracy the week before which is just terrible um so are you any is there any concern with those two it does seem like they they you know their passing hasn't been as good as maybe it has been in the past uh, I, I thought early in this game dewan jones looked pretty shaky um and by comparison for by he was 78 percent passing accuracy last season uh, any concerns there or is it just early season jitters you know burn and by is interesting because when he came in the league his passing was a little bit rough especially when it came to crossing um that's something that he's really worked on and gotten better at I think Brandon Baez really flashes of being a really great uh, right back in Major League Soccer. Um, I, I think it's part of it is just early season, especially, you know, you're playing, like I said, it's a low 30s. That's a wet turf last night. It's miserable conditions. So, but then the, at the end of the day, like you do have to kind of expect a little bit more out of them. They got kind of lucky not to have conceded a goal. Uh, Dewan Jones so far this year hasn't really impressed me. There was a moment last night where he got beat to a ball, which, you know, typically he doesn't really get beat to many balls in general. Um, and the fact that they don't have any depth at outside back, uh, is super, super concerning for the revolution. Um, I guess the, the upside of both of them don't play 
terribly well, there's less risk of them being transferred out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are moments for both of them that negative moments for both of them that kind of stood out to me in this one. Uh, there was one play in the second half where I think Brandon Bay had the ball and he didn't have anyone to pass to. And instead of just clearing it or maybe holding it a little bit longer, because I don't think he was under too much pressure, he just blasted a pass right into a Houston Dynamo player that you know then had an opportunity to counterattack. Um, that stood out for me as kind of a not very smart play. There was a play from Dewan Jones where he had a guy in his back and received the ball and tried to trap it rather than you know running forward or clearing it or, or something, and then ended up you know taking a bad touch and giving it right away to a Houston player. Uh, I, they were lucky that you know they weren't hurt on any of those players, but plays. But neither of them look as sharp um, as you'd like to see them. And even though they you know both had a lot of assists last year and got a lot of praise for that, um, I don't think either of them were as sharp last year as they were in the Rev Supporter Shield winning season um, when both of them looked like they might have a chance to go to Europe. So yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit concerned with how they played the first two games, but I think both of them are capable of playing a lot better than that. Um, and certainly deserve credit for the assist that they had in this game. Um, but yeah, something to keep an eye on. And Brandon Bay's really low passing accuracy in particular is a little bit concerning because, like like you said, you you go back in his career, he wasn't a great passer at the start of it. His first two seasons with the Revs, both of them were 67.5% passing accuracy. And then he took a jump in 2020, um, well, 2021 really, to, to 75%, and then 78% last year. And now starting the season with 61.9%. Um, that will definitely go up, but will it go up to that 78% of last year uh, or the 75% of two years ago? I, I, if it doesn't, um, then yeah, it's a little bit of a concern there. Uh, Eric also wants to know, what are our early impressions of Gillette's new North End? Obviously, there's work to be done. The screen alone is only one-fourth of its final size, uh, but he says it's already changed the atmosphere. It's almost claustrophobic, and I get a video game stadium vibe. One thing I will say is that uh, what I miss is years ago, um, on the press box, we used to be on a level where you could open up the windows and actually get like a real sense of the atmosphere. And now when we're in the press box, there's, you know, you're kind of walled off. You don't get to really hear much of anything. Uh, so it's kind of hard to judge the atmosphere and what this is done for. But do you have any, any thoughts on the, the early impressions of Gillette's new North End? You know, I think Tom Quinlan uh, said it perfectly one year. I think it would have been last year. He equivalented the po- uh, press box to a, um, like a nice hotel lobby where it's like, just quiet and it's well appointed and the temperature is comfortable and it has good lighting, but it's not really much going on. Um, it, it, so you don't really hear a ton of what's going on in the stadium. So it's really tough to get a sense of, you know, what the atmosphere was like. Obviously there was, you know, the team announced just over 13,000 last night. I I'd have a hard time believing there was more than 5,000 fans there. Um, just based on my experience of being in that building for a couple hundred matches and just kind of understanding crowd size. It was rough, rough weather. I mean, it was 32, 32 degrees and windy. Um, it was wet. There was flurries throughout. So I think that clearly impacted the atmosphere. Um, you know, visually, it's obviously very rough to see an active construction zone. Like you're looking at like backhoes and like they've taken out parts of the 100 and you see machinery and, you know, it's it's an active construction site. Um you know, it was an active construction site last year. So Revolution fans are essentially getting, you know, two years of an active construction site as part of their season membership or their ticket experience, um, which is incredibly rough, right? So the atmosphere at Gillette's always been lacking, in my opinion. There's only been maybe a couple games per year where you get that pop and you get that feel. I think you're playing in a football stadium and at the best you're at maybe 50% capacity, and that's when you are selling tickets for the Revs. So you're always going to have an atmosphere issue in that building. 
Uh, I think if anything, when they finish up that end zone and they kind of build it up, you'll get a better echo potentially, and maybe it'll sound louder. Uh, but that building acoustically, like it's just, it's tough to sound loud. I think even for the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady, uh, when he was here, kind of basically said it's not a loud building. Um, you know, so that building's just always been like that, unfortunately. So, and it's really early to judge it. And what we're talking about the stadium uh, and the atmosphere, Jeff on Twitter wants to know where were the fans? Uh, home <laughs> opener, one nothing revs up. I mean, revs about the um, perfect record at that point, Saturday night. Crickets, uh, and they were announced as a little over 13,000 fans there. It certainly looks like a lot less, but any thoughts on that one? Yeah, you know, it's it's 7.30 kick um, on March 4th, early season Gillette. You know, 32 degrees outside, it's snow. Um, you should not schedule a game at 7.30 or anything you know, in the evening at Gillette Stadium, early season. It's just poor scheduling on the league's part. I know they want this whip-around show, and we all know no one watches neutral soccer. No one watches it. Like, the ratings have always been bad for Major League Soccer. Um, so I don't think it really matters when you put a game on. I think the fact that they've kind of clustered the schedule this way makes it harder to watch more games of the league. It really limits your ability to watch a lot of Major League Soccer in a given weekend. This game should have been in the afternoon, should have been in the early afternoon when it's a little bit warmer. The fact that you're putting it at 730 is really a disservice to fans. Um, and I think if you look at next weekend, too, and you're looking at that 1030 on a Sunday night for the LAFC game, that is brutal. Um, that is no consideration to the, uh, you know, the away fans here in New England at all to watch that game. That should be on a Saturday night if you're going to put it at 1030. I know it's local time for the West Coast. I know it's 730. I know it's prime time, and I get that. But putting it on a Sunday night? It just feels like Major League Soccer, you know, built this Apple TV MLS season pass specifically or they built their schedule around that. Right. They tried to really make it work. They tried to do this whip around show, this 360 whatever pregame. At the end of the day, I think it really does a disservice to fans of the teams um, because no longer is it really taking them into consideration. I think Major League Soccer's had issues in scheduling in the past, but this really should have been an afternoon game on Saturday. Um, and the fact that it was at seven 30 is just brutal. You had to feel bad for the fans. Anyone that was at last night's game outside, I'll give you a high five. I'll give you a hug. Uh, cause you know, you toughed one out. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And it's unfortunate, um, <laughs> that they didn't you know, take into consideration the weather and, and make an exception from their every game at seven 30 thing that they seem to be doing, um, to put this one in the afternoon too. And you know, the other thing too, that I, you know, you never, I never really thought about until now is, um, or until recently is now, now that I have a, a daughter that I'd like to take to a revs game in the not too distant future. Um, now that there's no afternoon games, that's not really an option. It won't be till she's, she's much, much older. Um, so if, you know, for, for people that are trying to take young kids to these games, uh, 7:30 games, aren't really an option to take their kids to. And, you know, understanding that, you know, 7:30 is the time they want them to be and makes sense for, you know, more diehard fans. It, it is too bad that there's not, you know, even, one or two. Well, I guess I think there's one one earlier game, but there's not really any games, even early season, that you know, if you have a kid that has a bedtime, you could you could take them to to introduce to professional soccer. Uh, not really an option anymore with the seven thirty. Um, 
just another just another thought on that. <laughs> uh, Lexi on Twitter says, having been at both games where, where they've won, I'm feeling pretty confident. Am I the team's good luck charm this season? I- I'd say that, yes, you are the team's good luck charm, and I hope you have a ticket booked to L.A., right? <laughs> yep, you need to get on a plane right now to get to L.A. because that game's going to be a 4 nothing loss if you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a 4 nothing loss if you're there, too. We got, we got to write this down so uh, if the Revs lose next week, we can blame Lexi for not being there. <laughs> uh, Botswana president on Twitter Wants to know who starts up top of Rioni Wooden Bow. Um, we also got a question, I believe, on Discord. Similar question. Yeah, Macho wants on Discord wants to know should Bobby Wood be the starting forward right now? And I guess it's two questions. Is I, I'm going to change this into two questions. Is who starts up top of Rioni Wooden Bow next weekend, and who starts up top long term? And we should also throw out throw in that mix, I guess. Yeah, I think it's got to be Veroni next weekend. If it, I think if he doesn't start against LA. Knowing how difficult that game's going to be, it's going to be a real concern. But then again, like you know, Bruce Arena looks at Bobby Wood and says, I, "I trust this guy. This guy's put in good shifts." I think it's hard to go away from Bobby Wood too. There, um, I know Bruce specifically regarding Bo last night after the game was asked about him and you know, said they're going to look at him this week. I'd be shocked if Gustavo Bo starts. Um, absolutely shocked. I think you see him; it's going to be off the bench um, against LA. I really think. It, it's got to be Bobby Wood to start. No? I, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. I, I kind of think that Revs need Rioni to come good, right? And, they do. And I, I don't know whether it's this weekend or next weekend, but I think he's got to start more games. And maybe the leash is shorter, and you pull him out at halftime if he's not performing. Oh, that, that can't be good for his confidence either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen these first two games, you know, the, the best chance for the Revs to win against the LAFC is starting Bobby Wood. So I think he starts – this weekend and you know but going forward bruce has to find a way to get rioni back in the starting lineup um and you know gustavo bo i can't see starting this weekend i think it'll be interesting long term to see if bruce plays two strikers to have bo out there or plays him on the wing or what he does um but you know maybe maybe this is a game where bo is on the bench and if the revs need a goal late he comes in and and plays as a second striker but that'll be interesting uh, John Stafford mentioned earlier asked about Farrell. He also asked about Tommy McNamara. Um, will Tommy McNamara play or sit on the bench? And I think that's probably more a long-term question, not necessarily a this weekend question. Yeah, I think, you know, if he's available, he's going to be on the bench. Um, I like Tommy Mac. I do. I, I think he's uh, been a good player for the revolution, but I don't really know what his role is other than off the bench with this team. Yeah, I agree. And he's a versatile player, too, which is a good thing to have on the bench. But I think the Revolution have upgraded the positions he plays in with adding, you know, Latif Blessing. Um, I think if you you know need a winger, I think you'd start Nacho Hill over McNamara uh, or, or even, you know, Boateng. So I, I don't I don't see him starting many games this season unless there's injuries for him to start. But I, I don't think he's, you know, last season he was very good for the Revolution and kind of earned a starting spot. Um, by default because of how his play and because of some of the other guys that should have been playing those positions uh, not playing as well. But this year, uh, I think it's, you know, if, if he's playing regularly, it's because somebody's hurt or somebody's really underperforming, and that's not good news for the Revs. Uh, John also said the defense looked far stronger this last, stronger than last year, especially possession in the back. Uh, mostly agree with that. Um, Randy LH says it's early, but it looks like our best lineup right now doesn't include two of our DPs. Thoughts, and is that sustainable? It's not sustainable. Um, I think Gustavo not being there is obviously it's it's it was fitness related. Um, the fact that he came in so late, so 
we don't really know what effectiveness Gustavo Bo will have. We do know he can score in Major League Soccer, and he's a really dangerous player. Um, Veroni is the one that was a little bit interesting to me, but I'd even include Nacho Heal in that mix, Andrew Farrell, too. Like, we really don't know what the best 11 is on this team yet. We know what it is so far, um, but, like, we're through two, ma- two matches, and there's 32 to go. Yeah, I, I don't think it's sustainable either. I think, again, if the Revolution are going to be a, a team that can be dangerous um, more than just sneaking into the playoffs, and I think Vioni needs to be a starter and needs to be playing well. Um, or, you know, if that doesn't happen, Gustavo Bo needs to, you know, find his form from a couple years ago uh, and, and be a starter. Um, I, but, you know, they might get away with one other DPs, you know, coming off the bench most games, uh, but I don't think they can get away with two of their DPs coming off the bench most games. That's That's not sustainable. Um, Steve McGrogan on similar note wants to know what it will take to unlock Rioni tough question <laughs> yeah it's a really tough question um, I just don't think he like I said earlier I don't think he fits necessarily with what makes the revolution successful I think like you need a, a different kind of striker in that position I think maybe playing alongside Gustavo Bo or Altador or just someone else up top I think could really help unlock Veroni but at the end of the day, I just think it's confidence with them, right? With any goal scorer, especially at one that was so successful last year, it's confidence, right? Like when you start to score, you score in bunches. I think you saw it with Books. Obviously, you've seen it with Gustavo Bo, where he just, you know, when he scores, he's scoring like crazy. So for Veroni, I think it's just getting that first goal. Yeah, I, I think it is too. I think it's a confidence thing. Um, and I, I, it's a question of how he gets that first goal right now, right? Because it just hasn't looked that dangerous. Um, but I think, I think once one comes, more will come. Uh, Steve also said Blessing and McCoon, McCoon looked good. Um, we talked about Blessing. We didn't talk about McCoon. He came on a 61st minute uh, in kind of a defensive midfield role. What, what did you think of his performance? One moment that stood out with me with McCoon is he took a shot from about 45 yards out and it went about 25 yards above the <laughs> the goal. It was kind of bizarre. Uh, I think he was feeling it a little bit. Um, but I thought McCoon looked good outside of that. That was a head scratcher to me. Well, he, he um, also had that fantastic shot at the top of the box that the goalkeeper tipped off the crossbar, yeah. which I did not know was in his arsenal. <laughs> he did. He clearly was feeling himself last night. I think that's the you know the benefit of uh, coming in with that. Uh, you know, it was a two two goal lead when he came into the match, and there being a three goal lead a couple minutes after he came in. So I thought McCune looked good. I think he's a um, a good option to have off your bench. I still don't know what position he will end up being long term, but I think he's kind of a little bit flexible, which is nice. Yeah, I thought he looked good in this game too. I'm, I'm also with you that I don't know positional being long term. I'm not convinced yet that you know, kind of that defensive midfield role is his best role. Um, but we'll see. But you know, I was, I was looking at the bench before this game started and questioning, you know, what happens if Brandon By or Dewan Jones get hurt in this game? And it seems like McCoon was the was the only you know, sort of fullback depth for this game too, right? Like if it, if one of those guys got hurt. Um, he's being asked. He's going to be asked to play a lot of different roles this season because there's not really any depth for the fullbacks, as you said earlier, right? He's, he's the guy. If he, in this in this game, right? If he if one of those guys get hurt, he has to be the guy coming on the off onto the field for one of the fullbacks, right? It's it would have been McCoon, or I was thinking in my head maybe Latif Blessing could slot back there, or even Emma Boateng um, potentially, or maybe you bring in Omar and maybe Kessler can play out there, but. If you look at this roster comparison, we've talked about this too, like at length. It's behind Dewan Jones and Brandon Bay. There really isn't much, and they haven't addressed it. But I, I'd have to imagine Bruce looks at McCoon and maybe a couple of these other players and says, "Well, they're flexible enough to play in that position in a spot." The problem is, if someone goes out for a long period of time, could you rely on a McCoon 
being your primary right back for you know five six games in a row that's when you start to really get questioned right for 30 minutes or so in a game you could maybe pass by it but that's a real question on this team they have strikers right they'll figure that out they'll figure out the wingers because they have the depth but at outside back they don't have that luxury yeah i think that's you know not not to dig in because we've talked about before that is like the weakest spot depth wise for the revs and uh that to me is if if one of those guys gets hurt or you know transferred uh there's going to be some the revs gonna have to go out and probably get somebody to to fill in that spot because i don't think the depth that they have there is is anywhere near good enough uh steve also wants to know how how good does it feel to have the revs show some grit again um probably didn't see a lot of that that last season (laughs) yeah it's like the the results have just gone their way so far you know um going on the road winning in a tough environment you know, that was probably something they wouldn't have done last year. They might have got a draw in that game. At home, last year, I feel like they don't win 3 nothing. Maybe they get a one nothing win or something along those lines. But there were moments in this first set, in that first half that you could have seen Houston taking a lead, and it would have been a very different game. So through two matches, you have to like what you see. You know, especially in that first half yesterday, I didn't think they looked good. I think the body language was off, but able to kind of work through it and kind of adapt throughout the game and see what Houston's doing and finding the ways to be successful, right? They they played a little bit wider. They were a little bit quicker in their decisions, um, and they found success in that. So it was, it was good to see the team adapt throughout the game and really, you know, tweak some things to find success. So I'm impressed with them so far, but when we think about grit, it's really going to come down to what are you going to be doing when you're down a goal, right? Um what are you going to be doing in that situation when you're down a goal in the final 15 of a game and you need to get that result or, you know, you're up a goal and you're getting pressed, right? You're playing LAFC. Let's say you're up a goal on the road. How do you handle that? Those final 15 minutes when Carlos fella and everyone else is throwing himself at you. So I think there's a lot to be understood in the next coming weeks, especially against LAFC, right? Like I don't want to say this team's gritty yet, I think we need to see how do they handle being up a goal or down a goal on the road um, against a really good team. Yeah, and I think that the Charlotte game was probably more of a grittier result than this one too. I agree. Um, where they you know grinded out for eighty nine minutes and then and, you know stole the goal late to to get the win. Um, Derek Terrell on Twitter wants to know over under seventy five percent seventy five percent chance that a Revs DP scores in the next three games. <laughs> Uh, Carlos Hill is going to score. So, yeah, that that'd be my. <laughs> they'll probably get a penalty kick at some point in the next three games, or he'll score in a set piece. Um, but if I was if it was between Veroni and and Bo, who you know we don't know what, when Bo is going to be fit and haven't seen enough of Veroni, I'd be I, I'd, I'd be less more hesitant. But I'd I'd take the over seventy five percent chance. Yeah, because... it's Bo though. Like <laughs> between the two, it's Bo. Bo yeah. will come on and. Yeah, that guy just finds goals. So, well, my my only hesitation with Bo is that it seems like he takes a while to find his form at the start of seasons. That's true. Which is why if you know, a three game runoff, if he's just coming it back, coming back in, I wouldn't be so confident. But I think Carlos Hill is the reason that I would take the over seventy five percent chance on this one. Uh, Josh Glay on Twitter. Uh, sent us a question during the game. Uh, we already talked about Bobby Wood for a bit, but he said, uh, am I wrong? I already love Bobby Wood. High energy, goal, and assist. He seems to be, Rioni hasn't been, at least not yet. Um, is, are people wrong to be high on, or already love Bobby Wood at this point in the season? <laughs> no, I think it's it's okay to be high on him. Um, I think at some point, though, like you have to realize what his ceiling is. <laughs> and, I, you know, obviously, all the 
Altidore theoretically should be a better player than Bobby Wood. There's just other options. But I think if you looked at Bobby Wood's op- sign- like acquisition this offseason, you would have this- just assumed he's a striker that can provide some veteran depth. I think it's something they really lacked. Last year, obviously, you thought Altidore would have been that option. I think they really missed Teal Bunbury last year. And I'm not saying Bobby Wood and Teal are the same player, but uh, I think their role could be oddly similar. I think, you know, throughout the period of the season, if you need a veteran striker off the bench, I think it's going to be Bobby Wood. I think that's his role on this team long term. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, I, he's already what I have seen from him the first two games has already exceeded my expectations. So I, it's I don't think it's wrong to start being high on him or being a little bit more excited than maybe you were when you first saw the signing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just said on that one. Um, going back to, to discord, Evan Ryan, who, um, we noted earlier, had a question about the, the center backs. He also said the, uh, when the revs stopped trying for the top corner and instead went for low shots, the revs scored three goals. Is that a recipe for success? Uh, you mentioned some of the shots that were blasted over the bar. Do you think that the revs recipe for success is more the low shots? That third goal that went in still kind of baffles me. I don't I don't know what Steve Clark was doing. I think he got frozen up uh, a little bit there with that uh, that goal there by Brandon Bay. Just that kind of, that one kind of I scratched my head <laughs> when I when I look back back at that. I think you really should have stopped that. Um, I think you got to score uh, in multiple ways, and obviously Gustavo Bo is not going to shoot low. That guy goes high too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quickly, I want to touch on, uh, we had a couple questions about Petrovic. There was an article in the mirror, which is kind of a tabloid over in the UK, um, that there was interest in him from Manchester United. And was, was it also Liverpool? Uh, I believe, um, uh, MJC on Twitter on discord rather wants to know what the chances are that the revs keep Petrovic for the season. And Jay Casella on discord wants to know how realistic is it that Petrovic moves to Manchester United? Uh, and can we see a backup Petrovic replace David De Gea when his time is done? <laughs> Petrovic is gone, right? I think everyone understands that. Everyone who watches him play, um, they they know he's gone at some point. And I think if you're you know Bruce Arena and you're looking at this team, <clears throat> maybe you could afford to lose a Petrovic knowing you are fairly set at center back. Uh, I don't think Errol Edwards Jr. is a long-term answer. I think they'd have to bring in another goalkeeper if they were to move on from Petrovic in season. But part of me also knows that Bruce is, you know, understanding his window with this team. Um, you know, and the fact that he does want to win an MLS Cup here, he wants to have success here. So I, I think if you move on from Petrovic or any player on this roster, uh, that's a key piece. Like Dewan Jones, for example, you would do something similar to other moves they've made in the past during his tenure where, it really is a, a transfer, but it's a loan back kind of situation where you have them for the rest of the year. I think that is an acceptable move for them. It gives them some time because um, obviously at the end of next year, you could be in a very different situation with the roster. But I, I don't think you can afford to lose Petrovic midseason because you would have to go out and you'd have to hit on another goalkeeper. Uh, and this team really can't afford that you know four to six week period where you're trying to find that answer, right? Because it does take time. If you transfer Petrovic out, it's going to take some time to bring in another player. Um, but I do think he's gone. I don't know if it's going to be Manchester or if it's going to be Liverpool. I don't, you know, who knows, but it's going to be a big club. Um, and the Revolution have already shown a track record of selling players to Europe into big clubs in Europe. And when you start to do that, other teams in Europe start to take notice, right? So the Revolution are, are building that reputation of being a selling club. That's a really good reputation to have. Um, you know, it's going to be exciting to continue to see them sell players and even some of their young homegrowns 
are going to be sold at some point. Um, so it's a good problem to have. It's just you have to continuously sort of funnel talent on the back end. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, he's gone. I think the Revolution, if they think they have a chance at winning MLS Cup this season, uh, need to keep Petrovic. I think Bruce Arena probably knows that. Um, so I would expect that if Petrovic is sold, they find a way to keep him till the off season. It's just it's, he's too important of a player for this Revolution team for them to lose midseason unless they're in a situation where the team is you know kind of falling off a cliff and it shows that they have no no real hopes or ambitions to to make a run at MLS Cup, which you know based on these first two games does not seem to be the case. So um, yeah, I, I think he's gone, but I think the Rebs do find a way to keep him to the end of the season. You mentioned Jawan Jones; uh, you know, he wasn't asked about here, but I do think that. That's a guy that's more likely to go midseason if he is sold solely because of where he is in his career and because I think he's a guy that, you know, if you sell him now, um, is going to want to have a preseason to join a team and have a chance to compete for a starting spot. Um, he's just at the point in his career now where I, I don't think he can afford to join a team midseason and kind of waste a year. Um, where Petrovic is probably going to a team to be a backup. Uh, he's probably going to a team as a long-term option. Uh, I do think if David De Gea sticks around Manchester United another couple of years and Petrovic went there, uh, that he would have a chance to perhaps replace him. He's just that good. But um, I think from a Rebs perspective, you have to find a way to keep him to the end of the season, and I expect that they would uh, because they, you know, if if you get rid of him midseason, I think you've killed any chance you have of of winning an MLS Cup this year. Uh, and the Revs need, you know, the, the Revs window with Carles Heel uh, at thirty now, and with the rest of this team is now, they can't afford to waste it. Um, so one way or another, they need to find a way to keep him to the end of the season. Uh, we did get another question on Discord. Kay Cutting asked, does Latif Blessing seem to continue to be more of a player that gets fouled a lot or when he gets more comfortable, a more offensive weapon? <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that one? Now, Latif Blessing is a player that's going to draw fouls. Um, you know, it's kind of like Carlos Hill in that sense. Like He, he was fouled all the time with LAFC. It's the kind of player he is. Um, he was going to earn a, a ton of fouls. And I think we still haven't seen the best Latif Blessing like, what you saw last night was kind of the first kind of foray here, right, in the regular season. But I would continue to expect his his role and presence on the field to increase because he's a very talented player. Yeah, I, I agree. We definitely haven't seen the best of him yet, uh, and it, but it was certainly a promising first showing. Um, a couple of last-minute questions came in. Uh, Mike Collins wants to know, how much weight do we put into these first two matches as we look ahead for the rest of the season? Are these two wins enough momentum to get the Revs through LAFC away on a Sunday night? No. <laughs> no, in terms of it being enough to beat LAFC, I think you know if you're watching the LAFC game yesterday, Portland did have a a really late resurgence there. It's almost come back and beat LAFC at home, um, which would have been impressive for Portland to come back in that game. But you know, LAFC is a really talented team. Uh, MLS Cup champions, um, they look well poised to have a repeat effort. I'm not saying they're winning MLS Cup, but you know they're talented enough to do it. And we know what Carlos Vela is. We know he's you know, one of the best forwards in Matrix Soccer, if not the best. So it's going to be a very, very tough match for the Revolution. If you thought playing in Charlotte was difficult in front of 70,000, the fans at Bank of California actually are passionate and they're loud. I'm not saying Charlotte's not, but Bank of California is a loud place to play. And they're not going to take any minutes off. You know, that game in Charlotte, there maybe have been like five minutes where you actually heard the crowd. Bank of California does all 90 minutes. So it's going to be a very difficult place for the Revolution to play. A lot of the players will be unfamiliar to them. Um, to hear such passion, Major League Soccer is rare at that level in a full stadium. It's going to be loud. It's going to be tough. And LAFC is a very talented team. And it, 
I just have a hard time envisioning the Revolution winning that game. I think if they're competitive, if they get a point, it's a miracle. But I would look for them to be competitive, right? To be within the same ballpark as LAFC in that match. That to me would be a win for them if they're if there's a chance in that game for them to potentially get a point. I think they could be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Revolution schedule this season, there's a case to be made that this is the hardest game on the Rev schedule all season. I mean, they're defending MLS Cup champs on the road, late night game. Um, it's If anything's working in the Rev's favor, it's that it's only LAFC's second game of the season, MLS game of the season, because they had their first game canceled. That might work in the Rev's favor. Um, but I don't know. I, I have trouble seeing the Revolution winning that game as well as they've done in the first two games. There have been some defensive lapses. We talked about a couple of them this one. I think LAFC would pounce on those um, more so than we've seen so far. Uh, but like you said, if the Revs come out of this game with a draw, that's a really, really good result. Um, and if they come out of this game because they won the first two games, if they come out of this game looking competitive and looking on the same level as LAFC, you know, that's not the worst thing either. Um, but no, I haven't seen enough in these first two games to say I expect the Revolution to go into LAFC and, and get a win in that game. If I was a betting man, I would bet against the Revolution in that game, despite the fact that they've started the season really, really well. And again, you know, if they do go in and lose to LAFC, it is certainly not the end of the world because they are the defending champs. That is a very difficult place to play, going across country. Uh, every excuse in the book, the Revolution will have for that one if they need it. Um, but you no, know, if they if they come away with a draw, it's a it's a huge statement by the Revolution. I'd say in that match. Um, last question came in on Discord: Is Barrero better than Tejon? This is from Ryan. Uh, I'll hang up and listen. Uh, is it too soon to say Barrero is better than Tejon? What do you think of that one? <laughs> you know, I don't think the class of player is that different. I think Tejon's absolutely a great player. Um, and I think Barrero, I think he's close. I think he's adapted quicker than Tejon did. And I think that's just the nature of sort of like where they both came from, right? Um, their development prior to coming to the revolution. I think Barrero's got up to speed a little bit quicker. I think ultimately like Tejon's a better player, but that's not to say like Barrero is incredibly talented. That's a great question though, Sean. <laughs> like if you really think about it, you know, they, they have similar success in terms of what they're able to do. Um, I think Burrow could have a better career with New England than Tejon did, but that's not taking anything away from Tejon. I think Burrow can do more than Tejon. I think he's got a better shot. Um, I think he's potentially a better crosser. I think he's potentially a better passer. Um, and he can, you know, he's still good at taking guys one on one like Tejon. Uh, what where Tejon really, really, really excels is taking guys on one on one at speed, at you know, very fast speeds. Um, I think he's better than Barrero at that, and he's so elite at that. That's why he's in Europe right now. Um, it is too soon for me to say Barrero is better than Tejon, but I think he has the potential to be, and the potential to be kind of a more well-rounded player too, uh, in what he can contribute offensively. Um, he's a very exciting player that I think still has room to develop for the revolution. Um, ask me again at the end of the season and maybe I'll be ready to say he's better than Tejon, but I'm not ready to say that yet. Uh, if he's better than Tejon, he won't be with the Rose very long. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I apologize. We did get one last question. I'm cutting it off here though, where <laughs> Silverfoot wants to know thoughts on Noel Buck's performance. Um, he thought he was a little under starting quality yesterday, uh, but he's also not sure where else you'd go with Nacho Heel out unless you switch to five in the back. Yeah, so I'd agree that Buck's performance yesterday was below starting quality. I think there were some nice little feisty moments from him 
um, where he was able to get in the mix. But it definitely was a, a step back from the prior week that he had, he had a great game against Charlotte. I thought he had a great second half, maybe a little slow to start that game. But the overall, it was a great game for Noel Buck against Charlotte. And I think in this game, he, he took that step back. But like I said on the podcast last week, everyone had to pump the brakes on Noel Buck. Um, you know, it's a young player. There's going to be these these ups and downs, um, and he's going to have to learn to it. He's going to have to adjust to it. And I think based on the availability of players right now, I think maybe he'll play against LAFC. That'd be a very tough game for him to play in. Um, but I, there's going to be these ups and downs in his career. He's a young player, like I said. So I, I'm not necessarily going to be like, you can't really be disappointed right, in him. Um, I think it was natural to see him come back down a little bit. And there's always going to be a player that struggles for you on the field. And I think that was him last night. Yeah, I, I thought there was some early. I was impressed. He showed some bite in his game defensively, um, which was good to see. But it definitely wasn't his best performance. Just quickly, uh, who scored rated him 6.38, which is the lowest rating of any Rev starter in this game. 71%, 71.4% passing accuracy, third worst of any Rev starter. Um, not great for a central midfielder. Committed five fouls, which uh, was by far the most on the Revolution, no one else committed more than two. Uh, got the yellow card for persistent infringement, which was deserved uh, based on how many fouls he committed. Um, dispossessed three times, also the most of anyone on the Revolution. Uh, not a great stat there. Um, yeah, he, he definitely came back down to earth in this game. Um, not as good of a performance. Um, you know, again, there were some things that I liked, uh, but I think I think the hype. This past week was a little bit over the top for him. He's a very talented player. Uh, he's got a ton of potential. Um, but I think after you know after the last game, we saw a lot of people, you know, both from the Rose from the Rose fan base and around the league, uh, you know, ready to say he's you know he's going to go to Europe tomorrow. And I think it's time to pump the brakes a little bit and um, realize he's a 17 year old kid that has a lot of potential and a lot of skill, uh, but still has a lot of room to develop at MLS and you know a lot of room to build consistency. Uh, especially based on this last game. Um, we do, that's the end of the questions, but I did want to touch on a couple of, of news. Uh, ben Ravino loaned to the Birmingham Legion for the season. Uh, I think that actually opened up the supplemental roster spot for Boateng to, to be put on. Um, any thoughts on that move? I think it's always good to get a young guy a chance to play minutes at another team when there's probably not many opportunities with the Revs. Yeah, and there wasn't, for Ravino, it wasn't just with the Revs. I think we, even with Revs, too, it would have been kind of a challenge for him to get minutes. I know last year they, they tried him at outside back down there, then obviously he played center back, and he might have even played defensive midfield for Revs, too, at one point. So it it's good to see Ravino get that opportunity. I wasn't overly impressed with him. You know, I'm one of those people that watched a lot of Revs, too. I was pretty much at every home game, and he didn't exactly jump off the sheet for me. Uh, but I think he was overly good defensively. Uh, his best attributes was passing and moving the ball forward, and there's a place for that, but maybe not out of the center back position. Um, so I, I think it was a good move for the Revs. Anytime you can get a young player minutes and still keep them as an option for you long term, it's it's a good idea. It's just I don't, I don't know Ben Ravino long term if he's going to be a major league soccer player. Yeah, I mean, he turns 24 in March, so he's not really that young anymore. Um, so this is a big loan for him. If he if he shows really well with Birmingham, he has a chance to stick around with the Revs. If he doesn't, I think this is probably his last season with the team. Um, right at 24 years old, I can't imagine the Revs keep him around after the season if he you know, goes to Birmingham and, and doesn't show much. Because uh, in most parts of the world, you're at this age, you're close to the finished product. Um, not as much in, in the U.S., but still, 24 is you know is not is not that young anymore. So. Uh, it's a it's a big year for him, and this loan is kind of make or break for his chances of sticking around with the Revs, I would say. 
Um, two other items I want to talk about related to Apple TV before I wrap up. The Athletic had a very interesting article uh, with Don Garber. Um, part of it was uh, a source or sources told them that there's an potentially an opt-out right for MLS or not for MLS, for Apple TV, rather, if MLS doesn't reach certain subscriber thresholds. Um, that, to me, seems a bit worrying. <laughs> do you have any thoughts on, on kind of that? I do. I have a lot of thoughts about Apple TV. Obviously, we did a, a debate podcast in the offseason on it. Um, and I think everyone who's listening to this knows that I'm very well much against this deal, as I think it closes off the league. Uh, it makes it harder to watch the product. Uh, neutral fans have no interest in paying for Major League Soccer to watch it. So I think it really, really does hurt the league's potential to grow. Uh, obviously, the league chased the bag. They're getting $100 million a year. It's a billion-dollar deal over 10 years. It's not shocking that Apple has sort of provisions to protect it in case Major League Soccer doesn't get the growth um, that they're expecting. I think the fact that we are now in the second week, and I haven't seen a press release from the league saying, wow, look at our all of our subscriptions that we've acquired. Um, you know, they are comping a lot of subscription passes, specifically with season ticket holders getting the free pass. I question long term if that's going to be something they continue to give to the season ticket holders unless they count that as a paid subscriber. I'd be really curious from Apple's perspective how they view this. What are those thresholds? What do they look like? At what point, you know, would they be able to opt out? I can't imagine it'd be prior to the 2026 World Cup. I'd imagine that's what they're expecting, this exponential growth. This year is more of that test year. You're building things out. But I think it's telling that the league hasn't sort of shouted from the rooftops all this subscription growth because um, I feel like they would have been the first one to do it. Yeah, I agree with all that. And it is not surprising that Apple wanted to perhaps wanted a way out if things didn't go well. Um, but <laughs> it is worrying for the league um, if things were to not go well and Apple were to opt out of this you know, $2.5 billion deal, where would that leave the league? And they'd be scrambling to find, I assume it's, you know, not something that could happen during the season. And I'm sure there's a, you know, lengthy notice period uh, required with this. But um, I think MLS would be in, in quite a lot of trouble. Uh, and put in a very difficult spot if that were to happen, and also be in a spot where you know they would be kind of forced probably to take a pretty unfavorable deal um, just to get something done. So it, it's it was interesting that that came out, uh, but when you think about it, I guess not that surprising. Um, on the flip side, one thing that I think is really good for the league and, and pretty cool uh, is apparently they have hired Box to Box Productions, which um, is the company behind. Drive to Survive, which is the wildly popular Netflix series about Formula One. Um, they also did Full Swing, which is the PJ one. They did um, Breakpoint, a tennis documentary, all of which are, are very, very good. Uh, and MLS has hired them to produce a documentary about MLS um, for MLS Season Pass, which I, I think is a really good move by the league uh, to give people an opportunity to kind of get into the league. It's, it's a, they've been a good company at kind of explaining the sports and then explaining the personalities and getting people the opportunity to know the personalities and feel more connected. And I think that's exactly what MLS needed to do as part of this season pass. And this, to me, is really good news and a smart move by the league and Apple TV, right? Yeah, you know, the F1 on Netflix, that got a lot of people into F1, and obviously the golf one for PGA just came out. They did it at the perfect year, um, you know, with Liv and everything like that. And if, if you watch that, you got to really see, you know, these personalities that are in the league or hear, like, Joel Damon's story or Ian Poulter, um, the guys you probably wouldn't know a ton about, or even Tony Fina was a great guy, too, that it, it really does allow for that insight. You don't 
you don't really know a lot of this backstory and a lot of these players and you know some of the the pain that they have in their life or or their success as well um so i think for major league soccer this is something they need i think they have a real issue in building stars um and building this the stories that go with it. I think this league has relied too heavily on designated players and bringing in major players from Europe. I think Don Garber willing to, you know, change the rules of major league soccer to allow for Messi to come. And obviously there's a lot of financial success that could come with bringing in Messi, but this league needs to develop its own stars and tell its own stories. And I think this is the pathway to that. Um, I think they absolutely had to do something like this. And they needed some help because if the league can't build its own star, someone else is going to have to. Yeah, it's to me, this is absolutely a no brainer for the league to do this and great to see them uh, getting the best to put this together. I, I for one, am very excited for it. I don't know how long it's going to take to come out. I imagine it'll be quite some time, maybe not till next season. Uh, But I think it's a a great move by the league to do this. Um, Tanner, any final thoughts before we wrap up? And what have you have coming on the Blazing Musket? Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'll have a uh, Rebs Notebook up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for paid subscribers, and then it'll come out at noon for um, everyone else to uh, to read. So if you're a paid subscriber at The Blazing Musket, you'll be the first one to read my articles. Obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Tanner Rebello. I don't tweet a lot, honestly, so if you want to get my thoughts, you got to listen to this podcast or you got to read The Blazing Musket. I don't give it away for free anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks, Tanner. Be sure to check out the Blazing Musket uh, for Tanner, as well as work from Sam Mitten, Seth McComber, and the entire team there. Great staff at the Blazing Musket. Well worth the $5 a month to subscribe to that. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean Aldonahue. Uh, of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Easy to find at Revolution Recap on all three of them. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll hopefully be back after the LAFC game. I imagine that podcast will not be recorded post-game. We'll probably be done at some point on Monday. Uh, so we'll get you the timing on that one. Um, all of us are not happy with a 10.30 p.m. start time on Sunday. Uh, but thanks again for listening. <laughs>